Praise the Lord and welcome to Talk Time with Pastor Curtis. I'm Pastor Curtis High Teaching here in the studio at Crossway Church in Kingfish, Texas. Glad you found us on social media. As you have, I encourage you to get your Bibles. Today we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1. It'll be a great study in the Word of God as it always is. There's nothing in this world like the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God reveals to us everything we need to know about our God, our world, and ourselves. I'm thankful to have God's Word and God's people that are increasingly gathering around those who will focus on the context of God's Word, which is preaching of the cross. Before we dig in today, I just want to say how precious, how precious the meetings were in Palestine, Texas this weekend with Pastor Clint Lindsey back at Christ Community Church. I mean, there is a people there who are hungry for the truth of the gospel, who are learning to walk in the truth of the gospel. It was very easy to minister the word of the Lord there. And I'm so thankful for what the Lord imparted and what I know he's continuing to impart there. And just so excited about that opportunities we have such as that to, to go and visit with our friends and to share the gospel with each other and to be able to minister the word of the Lord as we did on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And uh, this is the greatest move of God that the church has ever known. I believe it to be so. The revealing of Christ like never before through the preaching of the cross. It's just, it's just a, my goodness, there's nothing like what's going on with the Lord. Nothing anywhere like what's going on with the Lord when we're learning the truth of the gospel. Less than two months, myself and 13 other ministers will be back in Palestine, Texas at Christ Community Church where this year is sent, determined to preach. And I, all I'll say is, if you ever go once, you'll find yourself in a rhythm of yearly uh, attendance. And this is, one, this is one conference where the power of God is promised to be there. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. And I'm telling you, where those people of God gather around the Lamb and preach the Lamb, you are going to experience praise and worship like nowhere else. You're going to experience the presence of God inhabiting the praises of those that are found worshiping Him in truth and in spirit. I'm so thankful for what the Lord is building, that He is building His church, and He's building His church forever. The message of the cross is the message. The truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified is what allows Him to save and heal. So you don't want to miss this year's Determined Tent Meeting, October the 5th through the 8th, 14 speakers, beginning on a Thursday night, ending on a Sunday night. You don't want to miss it. Get your hotels reserved now and prepare uh, to be with the Lord and some of the Lord's people there in Palestine, Texas this year. And I'm just excited about what the Lord is doing. Praise be to God. Also, uh, in just uh, a, 
three or four weeks, I'll be in Brockton, uh, Missouri, Brockton, Massachusetts, and the information will be on the screen. If you'll go to the YouTube channel and watch this session, you'll find the determined ministers' names and times they'll be speaking, and you'll also find the information for the Brockton, Massachusetts meetings that I'll be holding there September the 22nd through the 24th. You don't want to miss these meetings if you're anywhere near uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. I promise you the Lord is opening eyes to the truth of his word like never before because he is about to come for his bride and he wants those, really he wants everyone who claims he's Lord and Savior to have oil in their lamps. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that'll put oil in your lamp like the message of the cross. And I'm thankful, I'm so thankful for what the Lord has done in my life over the last 18 years concerning this great truth and the doors that he's opening now to carry this, this blazing fire of truth into these different regions. Some of these regions have no place where this is being preached. No, no place where this is being preached. So if you're anywhere near Brockton, Massachusetts, help us get the word out that we'll be there. And you'll see the information on the screen if you'll go to the YouTube channel, Curtis Hutchinson 316, and you'll, you can be able to watch this session and uh, everything we do there. As a matter of fact, uh, you'll see the information that we uh, put there after we get through with this live broadcast today. So, and don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like, like the channel, subscribe to the channel so you can be alerted to all of our worship services here when we go live, the teaching sessions, and everything we do. So praise the Lord. Today we're in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is part 10 of this first chapter in 2 Peter. So, Grab your Bibles, your pencil, and your paper. I'm telling you, you won't ever find any Bible college better than where you're opening your Bible and being taught the Word of God by the Holy Spirit in the context of Jesus Christ. Oh, the living Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Take away our sins. Hallelujah. You'll never find a greater Bible college ever find a greater Bible college than when the, the, the speaker is presenting the truth of the gospel so that the Holy Spirit can teach a child of God how to walk in truth. Praise be to God. So today, we're going to be in beginning in verse 16, and uh, we'll find Peter writing here, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now he is dealing with those that were false teachers in that day. And let me say this, there are more today than there's ever been. I know the church really doesn't like to talk about that very much because they don't like to uh, come to grips, come to reality that more than likely they're sitting under someone who is either a false prophet or an ignorant pastor. And as my son Andrew said last year at the determined camp meeting, 
an ignorant shepherd is as dangerous as a false shepherd because if they don't know what's to be put on the table, that's just as dangerous as a false shepherd putting something wrong on the table. So you need to be aware of what's going on around you. And again, Peter was dealing with those who were accusing them of just preaching fables and fairy tales and just make believe about this these truths about Jesus and many are there today more than ever before they're there today and they constantly yelp as barking dogs the heathens that they are that we used to be that they are now and to 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 get us to put the cross down and to come their way and and I'm not talking about just the world that's out there completely insane and without Christ. I'm talking about the church who's left the way of righteousness, that they've left it. They've left the way of the cross. When you leave the way of the cross and you have left it, will you replace the object of your faith with anything other than the death of Jesus? Will you put your faith in Pentecost? Will you put your faith in your fasting, your anything, when you put your faith in anything other than the death of Jesus, you 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 are falling away. You you are falling away. And so you you always need to understand that there's always going to be those who who don't like the way of God, which is the way of the cross. There there's always going to be those who who will choose a different way, even after they've been born again. Peter is the one who wrote about that, uh, that we've studied already about it's, it's better that you never knew the way of righteousness, which is the way of the cross, than after you've known it, to turn from the holiest commandment. So, it, 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 see, the judgment is greater for those who knew it and turned away than for those who never even knew it at all. So we have to be on guard. We have to be careful. Now, who he's warning here against and, and who he's referring to here is, is, is those, they, they've never known it because they didn't believe it and they were not going to accept it, at least when he was writing this at that time. Now, we know many people who don't believe and who, uh, you know, fight against the truth of Christ, some eventually, I'm talking about those that were blatantly like Paul, like when he was Saul, who persecuted the church. Well, look what happened to him. And there are many, I believe, that find themselves in that same situation that eventually are converted and become followers of Christ. But there are many who never will be born again. And there are many who have been born again who turn away from what they once knew and they replace it with other objects of faith. Now, I want you to know I experienced what I'm talking about. This concerns all those who put the cross behind them and the word of faith, the false word of faith before them. They put the cross behind them and they put the purpose-driven life before them or the walk of Emmaus before them. And that's exactly what we do when we turn to these things that are fables and fairy tales and make-believe that distract us from the cross of Christ, which is the only thing God has given us 
it is not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. It's not a myth. God became a man and came to this earth as a man so that he could be born of a virgin to not be born as a sinner like all other men so that he could go to the cross so he could live a sinless life and become our sin-bearing offering because men could not fix men. We were dead in our sins, and a dead man can't fix anything if he's dead. Someone who was alive because sin had not destroyed him had to come. Jesus had to come. Jesus came. Sin had no power over him. He was alive. He was life, the life of men. And he lived a sinless life to be our, our perfect sin-bearing offering so that you and I could believe upon him and be awakened from the dead and belong to God. You see, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth, my friend. It's the reality. It's the reality of what God has done, what God has become to all men. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted death for all men. So don't listen to these uh, these ignorant shepherds. I won't call them false because they are preaching salvation through the blood. But, but they're ignorant concerning much of God's word when they say that God only uh, chose a few and, and every, no, God didn't choose everybody. Listen, God chose to save everybody. I, how do I know that? Because of the scripture I just quoted to you, that Jesus tasted death by the grace of God for all men. And it's not God's will that any should perish. Now, I'm just quoting scripture to you, so you can do with that what you will. But if you'll use it properly, allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, you'll see that God didn't just choose a few. He chose those that believed upon him, and he gave the opportunity for all to believe upon him. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever will believe upon him will have everlasting life and will never perish. That's, so you need to understand there are many ignorant shepherds and there's even more false shepherds. And Peter was dealing with some of that in his day when he would declare these things, not only in a letter, but in, in word he would preach these things that because they were being accused of preaching cunningly devised fables, just men in their cunning way, would devise such a, a story as, as Jesus being God in the flesh and dying and then raising from the third day. And it, I know to the fleshly man without being born again, that sounds utterly ridiculous. And to the fleshly part of humanity, it is nothing more than a cunningly devised fable. But to the desperate heart who knows they're bound in sin and they're desperate to, to, and they know that sin is, has been defeated and, 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 they and they realize that when they hear the gospel and they realize how defeated they are, how guilty we were, 
And so we accept God's only avenue of deliverance and escape and future avoidance of the, the sin, the guilt and the shame and the fear that, that sin brings. Hallelujah. And we accepted that as a truth that liberated us from what most of the world is calling a cunningly devised fable. What they call a cunningly devised fable using great swelling words to just appease their own flesh, we call the truth of Almighty God that has saved our souls to the uttermost and has given us a place and an inheritance with our Lord forever and forever. Hallelujah. So let's read this again. It's a powerful verse. Hallelujah. He says, Peter writes, For we have not followed any cunningly devised fable when we made known unto you the power of our coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We didn't believe something that was just made up that somebody told us. We believed what we saw. Hallelujah. That, see, the Lord called these 12 men, and he used these 12 men, even though one of them would end up being a devil, which was prophesied that would happen. But he used these men to walk with him and to view his perfect and sinless life and his ministry. And he would use them to, some of them to write down the things that they've seen, the things they've heard. They're, even John would write that we have handled the word of life, that they've touched him, hallelujah. That John would even lay his head upon this one who was God in the flesh, who would come as the lamb to take away the sin of the world, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Listen to me now. These were given not only the opportunity to live with him and walk with him and to watch all that he did among them and all that he taught them, but he gave them the authority to write these things down under his guidance by his spirit. I want you to know that. Peter would even write later that these things that they write, they're not, they did not come to them through men's will, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of grace to write these things down so that we also by faith could be eyewitnesses of His majesty. That's right, eyewitnesses. You know, we weren't there. When we'll read in just a minute, we, we didn't see this majesty of Jesus, but by faith we see the majesty of our Savior. Hallelujah. We weren't there in these fleshly bodies to behold what Peter and James and John literally saw in what Peter will describe this majesty, and we're getting to what he called eyewitnesses of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll look at that today. We were not there. But I want to bring a great truth to your heart today. I pray the Holy Spirit, as I speak it, is it surely bears witness in the Word of God that He would teach this and show you this and impart this great truth 
to your heart and your soul today that the Apostle Paul never walked with Jesus. But yet he said he labored more than all the disciples, all the other apostles. He labored more by the grace of God, he would add. But he also was used more than all the other apostles. That's what he meant by that. I labor more than all the other apostles. He he had a greater revelation of Jesus. Get this now. You've got to get this. The Apostle Paul, who never walked with Jesus in the flesh, never was a part of his earthly ministry, he never knew Jesus after the flesh, but he knew him better and more than all the other apostles after the Spirit, by faith. This faith that we've been given, this faith by which we see, this faith by which we live with our Savior, listen carefully, this faith that we have obtained through the righteousness of God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in the first verse of the next chapter that Peter wrote, this faith that we've obtained, you and I can just as well view the majesty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, think about that. We weren't there in the flesh, but we have the Word of God that has been written down for us so that faith can come to show us the majesty so that we can also be eyewitnesses in the Spirit by faith of the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Glory be to God. Watch this now. For he received, he's talking about Jesus here, when Peter and James and John were on the mountain taken there by Jesus so (coughs) they could see, they could be rather eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory. Notice, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and we'll read where these scriptures are found for you to later go and check out, and we'll touch on some of them, one or two of them today as well if we have time. But this is where Jesus, the Bible tells us here, received from God the Father honor and glory. He received honor and glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you have to know, when there's any reception of honor and glory for Jesus, it's going to always be pertaining to his death. Nothing else to his death. And and we see that even in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 12, where it tells us there, the Lamb was slain to receive. Riches, honor, glory, power, blessing. Now, see, Jesus was always the lamb. Jesus was always the lamb being led to the slaughter. You need to understand that. But he he always had power. If he was, listen, if the fullness of the God who had dwelt in him bodily, he always had the blessing of the Lord, the power of God. 
uh, the, the riches of God. He is the riches of God. All the things that Revelation 5 and 12 tell us that he was slain to receive, we need to understand that. He already was all that. But the Bible there reveals to us that he had to be slain to become the conduit, the channel. Listen, the mediator, the one who would mediate all that he was to us and for us. He was slain to receive, to distribute. Let's say that together. He was slain to receive, to distribute all that God would give us, all that God would be to us, for us. He would, the lamb would have to be slain so that he could receive from God as the mediator, the slain lamb, the conduit, the slain lamb, the, the mediator, the slain lamb of all that God would offer to us. He received, but notice, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, because Elijah, and who was it that appeared there to him? Uh, my mind is blank here. Uh, put it in the notes there if you're watching, but uh, maybe we can go and, and look it up. It was... Uh, Peter, James, and John was there. Moses, there's that name that wasn't coming to my mind. Moses and Elijah appeared there to him. And, and, and we'll see, you can see if you're writing, taking notes, that in Luke chapter 9, verses 30 and 31, the Bible there tells us, And behold, there talked with him two men, these Moses and Elijah were recognized as men because that's what they are. They're men, which were Moses and Elijah. Now, these men were from the Old Testament. They were from the Old Covenant. You know their names well, Moses and Elijah, that says who appeared in glory. They even appeared in in a glorious fashion, and this is why. And this is the only place the glory of God will ever be experienced by anybody at any time. Listen, who appeared in glory, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Did you get that? Did you know that Jesus is your hope of glory who dwells in you because your faith is in his sacrificial work? There is no glory of God, any experience of the glory of God without a deliberate and conscious faith in the sacrifice of Christ. It, it, it's not there. It, it, it's, it, it cannot be experienced. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 gives one of the most phenomenal and beautiful truths in the New Testament. That the child of God, as long as he is beholden by the Spirit of God, as in a mirror, that which he is being made conformable to, that, that image of glory, which is what Christ accomplished as the Lamb at Calvary, 
we can be being changed into that image by the Spirit of the Lord as we go from glory to glory. But it says as in a mirror. You see, the cross is your looking glass. The lamb slain is your mirror. It's your reflection. It's your discernment that you can look at and see why what's wrong is wrong and what's right is right. And it's the only place you can behold and watch and watch your God changing you and conforming you into the image of that one who has a perfect humility, a perfect obedience, a perfect submission to the righteous judgment of God. I want you to know that. It is beautiful. But there is no glory, no experience of the glory of God without touching His sacrificial work with your heart. That's why Romans chapter 6 teaches a continual yielding to that form of doctrine that initially made us righteous and servants of that righteousness. And we're commanded to continue to yield to that form of doctrine. Why? So that, number one, so that we're no longer dominated by the sin nature through our doings and rules and regiments under some law, any law, but we've been brought under grace, which is the grace that Jesus tasted death by. And as long as we keep our hearts touching and trusting in that sacrificial work, my friend, the, the hope of Christ, the glory, the hope of glory that dwells in you will be stirring your heart continually, moment by moment, hallelujah, so that you can never take your eyes off that which you have to be beholding no matter what you're going through, whatever your situation is. Do you understand that you can behold the slain lamb of God laying on a, on a sick bed, a, a bed where you're moments away from leaving this planet in the midst of an ugly divorce, an, an ugly situation, any situation, any time, any place, you can behold the Lamb. That is the majesty. That is the majesty. Peter said that they were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And let's, let's read this in verse 17 where he goes on to say, For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there, when, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. Oh, from that glory that excels, hallelujah. Oh, that glory that excels that 2 Corinthians 3.18 says has bypassed so far that which was a glorious ministry, though a ministry of condemnation, Second Corinthians chapter 3, you can read it, the old covenant, the ministry of law, the ministry of condemnation, though it was glorious, the glory that now has shown up through the cross of Christ excels so far, be, get this now, and Second Corinthians chapter 3 tells you this, that this new covenant, 
glorious ministry of glory and righteousness of the Spirit has excelled in glory so far beyond the old that it makes the old look like it never even had any glory. But it says it was glorious, but it tells us that the, the glory of the glory that excels through what Jesus did at Calvary excels so far beyond what took place in the Old Testament that the glory that now has shown up and excels makes it look like the glory that was there makes it look like it never even existed. Glory be to God. Oh, somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came a voice, such a voice to him from the glory that excels, the glory that excels and would excel and just be far more excelling than anything even the Israelites had ever known. And this is what the voice said. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hallelujah. Think about that. Think about this. Every time there was a voice of God, the voice of God that came from heaven and said this, these words, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Such as when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. And when he come up out of that water, uh, John saw that dove that represented the Holy Spirit being upon Jesus. And a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father there also said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And that water baptism represented the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not hear the voice of God, my friend, unless your faith is in the sacrifice of Christ. That's bear out in the Scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that God's no longer speaking as He did in the Old Covenant in types and various ways and shadows and types. He's not speaking that way. He says He's speaking in these last days by His Son. And Hebrews 12 and 24 and 25 tell us exactly, specifically what that means, that he's speaking from heaven. That voice is still speaking from heaven, hallelujah, but it's still speaking through the blood. It's still calling all men to the place God draws all men. He's not drawing man anywhere other than to the one he lifted up on the cross and promised that he would draw all men unto him because that man would lay his life down. That man would shed his own precious blood so God's call could be upon all men. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, and we could all hear that voice from heaven continuously saying, That is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is a confirmation of a great truth that God is, it's impossible to please God without faith.
but not just any faith pleases God, only the faith of the one in whom he's well pleased pleases God. No other faith pleases, you don't have faith unless it's the faith of the Son of God. Let me say that again. You and I do not have faith that works unless it's the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, We were driving to Palestine, Texas, on Saturday afternoon, and the Lord ministered to me, and I shared it with my wife, Robin, and she got so excited over it, and I shared it with our friends there in Palestine, Texas, Friday night, that when our faithful God gave us, he dealt to all of us who are believers, the measure of faith, that measure of faith came with the only object through which it works. That measure of faith came with the object. And if that object doesn't stay, that faith object, that faith cannot work. The only thing that has ever pleased God is what His Son would do on Calvary's tree. That is all that God is pleased in, the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's why when Moses and Elijah appeared in glory to talk with the one who was transfigured before James, Peter, and John into his glorious estate, if you will, his glorious status of who he's going to be, who he is now after the re- after the resurrection, the glorified Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, you need to understand that when he comes back with us after the seven-year period that we'll be away and the devastating time on this earth called Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, when he comes back to reign, it will be as the glorified Christ and we will be as glorified saints with him because of what he did for us on Calvary's tree. But on the mountain that day that Peter's writing about, that he became an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus Christ when God the Father gave him honor and glory, speaking to him through Moses and Elijah, he was even speaking to him. And the Bible says there they were speaking concerning his death that he would have to go through. You see, that is why he came. And let me say something very important that I said earlier in this session, and that is that Jesus was always the Lamb. From before the foundation of the world, when he was in the womb of his mother, the Virgin Mary, he was the Lamb. Hallelujah. He was born as the Lamb. He lived a sinless life as the perfect, spotless lamb on his way to the slaughter. And his life here as the lamb on his way to the slaughter, the scripture tells us we've been given that life as an example. And the power of his cross to be able to walk as sheep of his pasture on the way to the death that we will die at the end of our journey. We've been given resurrection power 
to live the crucified life as his sheep being led by him on the same path of righteousness that led him to Calvary step by step, every step. The Bible says in Psalms 85 and 13, as righteousness went before him and has set us in the same steps of his way or the way in which his steps led us. Let's go and read that. I'm kind of butchering it up, but Psalms 85 verse 13, and we're talking about we are walking in his footsteps, and he lived his life as a lamb on the way to slaughter. He was the lamb on his way to slaughter, the perfect spotless lamb, and that path was the path of righteousness. Every step he took was in the path of righteousness as our Lord of righteousness. Listen to this beautiful scripture concerning the path of the Lamb being the same path for us. Righteousness, Psalms 85 and 13. Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. Glory be to God. That ought to have you shouting right now because we're in his same steps of righteousness. Have you never heard? Do you not know that it was the righteous judgment of God that led Jesus to Calvary so that he could become the house, the temple of Almighty God that we all dwell in? Hallelujah. Oh, and he, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb, the perfect humility that God saw, the perfect obedience that God saw. That's what God beheld at Calvary that he wants you to behold and never remove your eyes from it so that you can view the one who committed his soul to the one who judges righteously. Let's look at that, if you will. Turn back a chapter in Second Peter uh, chapter 1. I'm sorry, we've got to go all the way back to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, but I want you to see it today, or rather it's, it's in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, down near the end. Here it is, 1 Peter. I'm sorry, I'll get it in a minute. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For he even hereunto were you and me called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Watch where his steps led him and they're not leading you to any other place moment by moment who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteousness. The righteous footsteps of Christ led him every step of the way to his death. 
that the new covenant in his blood might be made available to us and that the faith he lived by might be made available to us that we might find his footprints in the path of his righteousness that cannot be experienced unless we're willing. This is the epitome and the great expression that you and I should be seeing of what it means to deny ourselves that would eliminate us from following in his footsteps of righteousness and taking up our cross that allows us to follow in his footsteps of righteousness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The beauty of what we can behold. The beauty of his majesty that we're allowed to behold if we will only see him in his perfect humility. You see, we desire a perfect humility and we've actually been given his. We desire to be perfectly obedient before God and we've been given His perfect obedience. We desire that we would never not be found exercising this perfect faith that we have received. You see, it is a perfect faith because it was measured to you out of the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, that was a perfect faith. And the Lord measured that faith, that that measure to you out of a perfect faith. That faith didn't get messed up just because he dealt it to us. We're still not every moment expressing perfection and we won't ever till we see the perfect one. And then we'll be just like him. But we do have a perfect faith because the Lord's not given you anything that's not perfect. And that perfect measure of faith allows you and I to behold the majesty of our Lord. So when we read these things that Peter beheld literally with his own eyes on the Mount of Transfiguration, so that he could be used by God not to just have the blessing of seeing it, but to tell others and to write it down so we could hear the Holy Spirit of truth and grace telling us and we can behold his majesty. Hallelujah. That's what we have the scriptures for. And let's go and read, as I said we would, if you're taking notes or you can turn there with us, Matthew Chapter 17, verse 1 through 5, reads this way. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up into a high mountain apart from everyone else and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Now, there's great purpose in the specific wording of all of this because the Bible tells us that the light of the knowledge of the glory. Let me say that again. 
The Bible tells us that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God has shined in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means His truth. This is why that the Lord did this, not just to minister to the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would go and suffer, but so that Peter, James, and John could see this, declare this, write this, because their writing of these things, even Matthew's writing of these things, is God declaring through them to us this this light of this knowledge of this glory that only shines in the face of Jesus, meaning the fullness of what he would do at Calvary. You see, in Exodus 32 and 33 and 34 in those chapters where Moses is asking God to see his glory, God would put him in the cleft of a literal rock naturally so that he could pass by and declare his glory to him. But he tells Moses, you can only see my tender part because no man can see my face. No man can see my face and live. It's a beautiful picture of God telling Moses, I've never even heard this before, but I'm sure it's out there. I'm slow to see and hear everything that's been written out there. But God told Moses, you can only see my back parts. I believe it to be. I believe the Lord showed me this because you can only see where I'm headed. You in the Old Testament can only see me where I'm headed. That's so beautiful. But when God in Christ on Calvary's tree showed up, and even pre-transfiguring him on the Mount of Transfiguration, God would reveal the brightness of his glory that Jesus is declared to be in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, by his face being lit up. Hallelujah. The Bible says that his face did shine as the sun. And he's even called, and Peter will get further into that later on here, a few verses down in our study, that Malachi prophesied Jesus would be the sun, S-U-N, the substance of righteousness, the healing in his wings, the healing that that light of the knowledge of the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ brings into our hearts. You see how beautiful the scriptures can be if they're in the focus moment by moment, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little in the light of the knowledge of the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never take your eyes, never let the distractors move you away from other things because whatever those other things are, you'll not experience them except after the flesh if you're not learning them through the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The proof of that is scripturally, and you've got to forget about these folks that are preaching experience today. You, you must follow those that are preaching the truth of the scriptures. The proof of what I'm saying is in this one place and others that all God's words are in righteousness. 
Proverbs 8 and 8. Those of you that love the truth will allow the Holy Spirit of truth to guide you into more truth, and many times that will mean you'll have to let go of what you have previously thought, uh, you've previously been taught. And what I'm sharing with you right now will do that if you love Scripture more than you love denominations, more than you love ministries, more than you love men's ministries. All of God's words are in righteousness. Proverbs 8 and 8. And his righteousness is revealed in the gospel, Romans 1, 16 and 17, to those who have their faith there, who are just before him, who are living by that faith, going from faith to faith. Righteousness revealed in the gospel put us in the faith and any movement Further in the faith will be as the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So it's not just through the gospel we're saved and now we do what we want to. Now we handle God's words however we want to. No, my friend, if we're handling God's word outside of its righteous context, which is only revealed in the gospel, the only fruit no matter what we seem to have, no matter what it seems like might be going on, the only fruit we have when we handle God's words of righteousness outside of the gospel context, the only fruit there is is ungodliness and unrighteousness. And that doesn't mean back into drunkenness and orgies and sexual uh, lasciviousness and all that. It means that there are many today who are using God's word day after day in an unrighteous context outside the perimeters of Christ and Him crucified, that focus of God's only pleasure and only place of revealed and experiential glory that it can look and seem very right. But it's only right to the flesh. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Not just the ungodliness and unrighteousness that's out there in the world, but that which is in pulpits. Why do you think people are leaving denominations by the droves? Because it's the hierarchy of men. It's the building of men. It's the legacy of men. What men, no, 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 not, not men used by God. What I see today is people in these denominations, and they don't want to hear about the cross. They don't want to hear God's word in its righteous context. They don't want to. If they did, even more so, and more so are right now, and even will in the days ahead, more so are counting all that loss and done for the sake of the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge that will pluck them up and out of that and excel them further on into the glorious gospel of Christ. 
want you to understand that. If men are preaching and teaching anywhere in the Word of God, and the mention and the touching of redemption is not there, it's only head knowledge and intellect is needed. It's only head knowledge and the intellectual part of man functioning. Only when the Lamb is involved are we involved in what Jesus is doing. And remember, he said, you can do nothing without me. I'm going to be starting a new series this Wednesday night on that very topic. Jesus' phrase, you can do nothing without me. Because I do believe that I forget that many times, that I can do nothing without Him. And whatever I have that's of God is His. And if there's any functionality of experience of my Savior, it's Him living in me. We're going to start that series this Wednesday. You don't want to miss any of that. But this, what happened on the mount The Bible says Jesus was transfigured before them here in in, uh, Matthew 17, 1 through 5. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And that represents the righteousness of God. His raiment, uh, you and I given the white linen, the fine white linen of the saints, which Revelation tells us it's the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. His face lit up. As the glory of God appeared in his face. Oh, that glory that excels, that that new covenant glory, that ministry of righteousness that he is and that he would work for us on the cross. Isaiah 32 and 17 declared it to us. Righteousness, the work of righteousness will be that of peace. He made our peace through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20. And the effect, Isaiah said, of that righteousness would be quietness and assurance. Hallelujah. Stillness of the soul, unmovable from this place of liberty and freedom in Christ Jesus as we behold the glorious Lamb from Genesis to Revelation, the one who wrote the storybook of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Oh, it's been said for for decades, generations, centuries, that there is a red thread, a scarlet thread that runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Listen to me very carefully. It is the walk of God as the Lamb. Not only did God show up in the flesh to walk as a perfect spotless Lamb, in demonstration among men, but he walked among men as that perfect lamb throughout the ages, talking about, pointing to, revealing nothing but the promise of that Savior that he gave in Genesis 3.15 and that Jesus said every prophet prophesied of him. The scriptures were about a coming Savior. Every line, every precept, every word were about the Lamb of God and under the new covenant the word of God is our God all through that Lamb. The old covenant was God speaking by prophets in various ways in diverse manners about His Son. 
these last days through the shedding of the blood of Jesus, the laying of the shepherd's own life down, God speaks uh, by him now. Old covenant about him, new covenant by him. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, what a great time we've had today in the Word of God. Oh, hallelujah, line upon line, precept upon precept. Oh, every step in his steps as the spotless Lamb of God, as we're constantly drawn to the place the blood was shed for us and we were immersed into the one that shed his blood. And if we continually behold that glorious Lamb, then we'll continuously have this message on our lips as we are continuously being conformed into that glorious image by His Spirit. Hallelujah to the Lamb. God bless you, and may His rich touch be upon every aspect of your being today, body, soul, and spirit, everything about you, your ministry, your family, your body, your soul, your spirit, your position in the community, whatever that may be, whatever God's given you to be faithful to. May his touch of mercy and grace be upon you as he brings you out of all that men offer and into all that he offers through that Lamb of God. Hallelujah. If the Lord stirs your heart to give an offering to him through this ministry, you can do that at thecrosswaychurch.com. You can also easily give by simply texting on your smartphone the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. Help us publish this on social media. Hit the share button. Go and like the YouTube channel, Curtis Hutchinson 316, and follow the Crossway Church Queen City, Texas Facebook page. I'll see you Wednesday night. Until then, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.